Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. They decided to go to investigate and they opened up and what they saw was, was something that they would uh, never forget. In fact, when the police were called, you know, a, again, they, they'd come across something that they'd never seen before and stayed with them for, for the rest of their lives. In 1960, the police found the body of a man in a central Auckland apartment. He had died from self-castration. But the real mystery is what happened to his wife, Cynthia Grierson-Jackson. I'm Jesse Mulligan, and this is Crimes NZ. In this episode, I'm joined by true crime writer Scott Bainbridge, author of the book Without a Trace, On the Trail of New Zealand Missing Persons talking about sort of high-profile cases, and this case isn't really well remembered today, but certainly back in 1960 it was. It was all over the news. So um, this couple hadn't been in New Zealand for too long. So Michael Grierson-Jackson was an ex-RAF fighter pilot during the war, um, and after the war he uh, served time in the Royal Canadian Air Force um, as well as the Australian Air Force. So he was highly qualified, and um, sometime during his... Um, I guess uh, travels around the world. He met Cynthia, who was the uh, the daughter of a uh, French father and an English mother. Who had, she'd been pretty much been born and raised in India all her life, and she could so she could speak you know Indian and French and English um, quite fluently. And so they married and immigrated to New Zealand in August of 1959. They travelled all around the country because um, uh, Mike's work took him all over the show. Really, he he secured a job. Um, for Rudnick Helicopters as a top dressing helicopter pilot, so um, he was, you know, his work was in demand, and so they initially settled in, in Whanganui before moving to the mountain, then and then up, a lot of his work uh, was South Auckland. So uh, they moved um, sort of late nineteen fifty nine, early nineteen sixty up to Auckland, and then secured an apartment in Park Road in Grafton. What sort of relationship did they have? Well, the few people that I talked to that do remember them. Um, Remember them as being, you know, uh, a very stylish couple. Now, uh, Cynthia was a dressmaker and um, and a designer, and so you know that this couple turned heads wherever they went. Um, one woman that I talked to remembered Cynthia as, you know, emulating Jackie Kennedy. You know, the, the, the Kennedys were in the White House at that stage, so she's, you know, Cynthia was well remembered for having the, you know, the stylish haircuts and the and the big sunglasses like Jackie Kennedy had. Um, to, to their friends, um, you know, they appeared outwardly, they, they appeared to be happy, but um, certainly later on after, after the events happened, um, it was learnt that um, you know, there was a bit of domestic abuse happening. Um, Cynthia had recorded it in her diary, so that was a fair bit of unhappiness there. Um, one of the, Cynthia's friends did recall that Mike fancied himself as a bit of a ladies' man and, and may have had some affairs, you know, during the during the time. But certainly, um, from what I understand, the move to Auckland was to start afresh. 
and the people in the, in the neighbouring apartments in, in Grafton certainly didn't think anything there was untoward, except for a couple of days prior to um, the discovery of Mike's body. Uh, you know, loud voices had been heard late at night, um, but then nothing else after that. Okay. Um, also possibly important to the story is an accident that Mike had, and it was in a helicopter, wasn't it? Yeah, later on, um, when it was determined um, the circumstances around his death, there was question there as to what his state of mind was. Now, um, two months after they arrived in New Zealand, Mike was doing some work in the Tuaco area, um, top dressing, and there was an engine malfunction in a small helicopter and it crashed. And although there were no... He wasn't badly injured, there was some thought that that, um, he may have sustained some sort of um, head injury which, which caused you know, perhaps his personality to change. Certainly his helicopter partner or, or the chap that um, that helped him with uh, loading the helicopter, Noel War, who I did track down, um, he recalled the helicopter crash very clearly, but he, he didn't think that, you know, Mike was badly affected, apart from being shaken, in the, in, you know, after the crash and, and in the few days afterwards, he didn't think that it affected him mentally. So what happened in the lead-up? to her disappearance? Well, this is the thing we, we don't know. Um, they'd moved to Park Road and, and um, by all intents and purposes, they'd been seen together and were, were in happy, happy spirits apart from this argument late one night. Now, um, no-one saw or heard any movement out of that apartment after that argument but um, the landlord who lived reasonably close by um, was contacted by one of the neighbours to say that the outside light had been basically switched on for a couple of days and, and there'd been no movement in and around the house so or the flats. So um, they decided to go to investigate and they opened up and what they saw was, was something that they would uh, never forget. In fact, when the police were called, um, you know, a, again, they, they had, they'd come across something that they'd never seen before and stayed with them for for the rest of their lives and it was basically that the, the small flat was in a reasonably tidy condition except for the bedroom the bedroom resembled um, like a uh, an amateur science lab there were beakers and bottles and flagons of containing all sorts of mi- mixtures which were later identified as glycerine um, cyanide um, there was a flagon of sherry other liquors as well um, but uh, it was what was on the bed, and it was um, so Mike's dead body was on the bed, naked, and there was a, a surgeon's scalpel on the floor, um, lots of blood-covered newspapers, and yes, he had, he had been castrated, and it was later determined the cause of death was shock, you know, following the loss of blood. The police initially thought that there was, you know, there, there was a, it was a murder, but that was quickly ruled out because um, the doors had been locked from the inside, so um, they quickly determined that that he inflicted that, that horrific injury on himself. Um, now, a, a couple of days before he he, um, he died, he had been seen in a sort of state of, um, or how should we say it, uh, perhaps drunkenness. Um, he did actually go to uh, his wife's workplace. She was working in a sewing shop and he returned some of her work smocks and her workmates believed that, um, you know, he wasn't, he, he probably had been drunk and he basically said that, that Pat had left him 
and um, and she'd run off to the South Island. So when the investigation kicked off after the body was found, they made a, the police made an, a, a big attempt to try and track her down by contacting all of the uh, the police stations around the country to see if anybody of her description had turned up. There was a suitcase found in the room um, with all of Pat's, well, many of Pat's dresses all folded up. Just to jump in, by the way, Cynthia, she was sometimes called Pat. So sorry, you might, sorry. Yeah. So yeah, we'll sometimes yeah. we'll call her Cynthia and well, sometimes we'll call her Pat. But, sorry, um, we'll, we'll try and call her Cynthia, yeah. Yeah, same so, person. Yeah, yeah. So um, some Cynthia's smocks um, and dresses were, were, in, were folded up in the suitcase. And, and newspapers, and it was newspapers of the of the days leading up to um, to the discovery of the body. So it looked like it, they'd been hastily packed, and um, there was some uh, evidence of blood found on some of the dresses, which they determined wasn't didn't belong to Mike. But um, because the couple hadn't been in the country for very long, they they didn't know, and we're talking about 1960, so they didn't have you know Cynthia's blood type. But um, there wasn't enough blood on those on those dresses to determine whether or not she was alive or dead. So, do we think that he was telling the truth uh, when she when he turned up to her work and, and reported to them that she'd left and headed to the South Island? Well, that was um, uh, you know the only feasible. Uh, explanation really. There was no evidence to suggest that he had done anything. Um, his neighbours when they were interviewed said that you know he exchanged pleasantries with them. Um, there was certainly nothing untoward there um, in the days before he d- he, he died. Um, but there was certainly no- nothing in his demeanour or his character to suggest that he'd, he'd done anything um, horrific to her. So what do we think happened to her? Well, for, for months and months, and if we go, um, I know one of your, your previous um, guests talked about the Truth newspaper as being, um, you know, anything far but from, far, far from the truth. But I, I, you know, I went back to some of these papers like the, you know, the Truth and and the Herald, and, and they for, for for weeks and weeks they did a great big um, coverage of uh, trying, you know, trying to track Cynthia down, and were quite open with with what actually happened. Or you know the 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 scene of the um the, the death. So um you know there was a great big media um call for her. You know she she obviously had been well travelled. So there was some thought that you know she may have engineered his own sorry her own um she you know made have might have disappeared herself. Voluntary she might have left the country back back in 1960. It was reasonably easy to to travel you know overseas without a passport. Um a few um, her passport was I believe it was found, but um. You know, she, she. You know, she may have, may have. Um, it was very, It was. It was understood that she. You know, she probably had the, um, the nows to to. You know, to get up and go, if she wanted to. Was there a sighting in the South Islands? Oh, look, there were, there were a number of sightings. You know, throughout the country, um, and, and you know, because she was. The, the way she was, she you know, described as being dressing quite stylishly and, and you know, very attractive woman. Um, you know, people tended to you know t- take notice, and um, but you know, the, a lot of the sightings um, were followed up, but um, either disproved or they couldn't track down, or you know, they couldn't find that person that the um, the person had sighted. You, Scott, recently received a coronial report into the death of Mike. Did it have anything of interest in there? 
Um, not re- not that I oh, I haven't um, mentioned. Um, in fact, there wasn't anything other other than um, y- you know uh, the neighbours and and um, and uh, people that that had seen Michael in the um, in the days leading up to his his death um, say anything other than that he seemed to be okay. Um, the the coronial inquest closed without any reference to Cynthia at all because at that stage you know it was still thought that she was. Um, you know that she was somewhere in either in the country or out of the country. There certainly wasn't any indication that uh, that she was dead. Okay, then there's another twist to the story. So at the moment, the best guess is that she has willingly disappeared for whatever reason. But then we go back to the North Waikato, where two farmers find a leg. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, this is adds some even more you know bizarre play to the story. But um, in, in August of 1960, two two farmers um, in Tauranga they were um, uh, which is near the Waikato Heads near Waiuku, they were contemplating an afternoon of fishing, and they uh, but it was too rough. And as they were walking upstream, they they came across what they thought was a, a human leg washed up on the banks, and they didn't think too much of it. But they went back and um, at a party that night or a few nights later, they didn't think too it. much of it—a human no, leg on the bank. Yeah, well, uh, look, there were, there had been a lot. Like with, when I was doing the research to the story, I do recall that you know in the months leading up to, um, and, and totally unrelated, but um, you know there would be the odd piece of human body sort of found. In the Waikato River, that the you know the police could um, you know check back, and it was you know f- from a hospital or um, yeah, I mean human remains and some there's some examples here of human remains not being sort of taken totally care of. So they did you know occasionally end up in the river, um, but yeah, the, these farmers I guess they had fishing on their mind and um, and didn't think too much or you know forgot about it until a few nights later when it was, came up in conversation and. <laughs> The local constable overheard and said, "Well, you know, heck, you know, we better go back and have a look." And sure enough, they found it, and it was um, it was a leg virtually intact. So it was cut, cut off at the hip joint, you know, with a very sharp instrument, as if it was a surgical surgical scalpel, and it was reasonably well preserved as well. I mean, even though it had been there um, some period of time, the the leg was sort of complete to the the, the hip joint, and the pieces of flesh above the knee had already sort of peeled off. Um, and it was only in its early stages of decomp- decomposition, but um, this, the specialists considered that they figured that the leg had been severed from the body after death and, and, and around 13 weeks previously, and, and they believed that the leg belonged to a woman aged sort of between 18 and 30 years of age whose height would have been about 5 foot 2. So uh, the police narrowed it down to, you know, uh, only a fair few, but um, Cynthia's name was certainly top of the list, but... The problem there was that you know Cynthia was thirty seven, so was out of that that date range, and also she was five foot four, not five foot two. So you know she was initially discounted, but there was another another um, missing girl who's um, who uh, who fitted into that you know into that range of of being five foot two, and had disappeared sort of between twelve twelve weeks earlier. That was still regarded as missing. Okay, so maybe more likely uh, that it was her. Um, and in fact, when police start looking at that one, they get caught up in another crime that is the appearance of Lynette mm. White, who was due to testify against a salesman called Ivan Sund. 
That's right, yes. Yeah. So Lynette was, had been listed as missing and um, in early May. She was actually due to give evidence at a court case of, of, of this chap called Ivan Sund. Um, about... Less than ten years ago, I wrote a book called "The Bassett Road Machine Gun Murders" about the you know the Auckland gangland of yeah, the sixties, and I kept coming across this the name of Ivan Sund. He kept appearing. So I, you know, one thing I, I learned about him is he 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 was a, a, a pretty much a, a low level. I wouldn't say he was. Um, you know, in the upper echelons of the you know Auckland underworld, but certainly he had a finger in a lot of pies, and he and he was associated with George Walker, Big George, who was one of the victims of the Bassett Road murders, um, and and he certainly um, he at one stage he operated a legal beer house, you know, in the in the era of six o'clock closing, so he, you know he he associated with with um, I guess the, the the rougher element of the of the time. Um, Mr. Sun operated a 1960 uh, backstreet abortion service, which was illegal back then. And so um, Lynette was got caught up in that. She was just a young girl from Fitianga. Um, she she'd got a job in a, a as a law clerk up in Auckland. And um, yeah, yeah, for whatever um, whatever happened, um, she learnt about what um, Mr. Sun was doing and had agreed to police that she would give evidence against him and um, and he was arrested and due to give evidence in court but um, Lynette didn't turn up and she wasn't found and so nobody really knew you know, where she was and her own family were, were, were keeping pretty quiet about it as well but there was some thought there uh, after the league was found that, you know, hey, maybe the um, the underworld... Um, you know, had gotten hold of Lynette, and maybe she was a vic- she was the victim, and she'd been cut up. Okay. And back to Cynthia Grierson Jackson. What do you think happened to her? Look, I, th- I think well, she was she was never. There's been no no sighting or or, or no trace of her at all. Um, I, I certainly believe that um, the the leg likely did belong to Cynthia. Um, oh, you do. Inter- yeah. yeah um, yeah, um, I, I do. I, I mean, ex- explain why, and that's um, that. I, you know, I did manage to, to find out what actually did happen to Lynette, um, even though she was missing. Um, uh, I, I did manage to track down that she, she, you know, she was alive. So it couldn't have been her. You've been listening to Crimes NZ with me, Jesse Mulligan. You can catch more of me Monday to Friday hosting RNZ's Afternoons show and you can find more episodes of Crimes NZ on the RNZ Podcasts page. It's also on Apple, Spotify, iHeart or wherever you catch your favourite podcasts. Remember to follow this series so you don't miss an episode and check out some of RNZ's other podcasts while you're there like Our Changing World, our science podcast. Or you can listen live to shows like this and much more with me on RNZ's Afternoons program, 1 to 4pm on RNZ National. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.